We are in the second week of a five-week series looking at this letter uh, called 1 John. And as we dig into this letter, we're, there, there's kind of a flow to the whole letter uh, as a whole. And so Pastor Hayden introduced it last week, and uh, we'll pick up a little bit of that. And then this week kind of moves us the next step in, in John's uh, you can call it a loose argument. He's he's making a case for how do we live in response to the good news of Jesus Christ. And he's writing this to a community, most likely the Christians who are gathered around Ephesus, and he's writing it towards the end of the first century. So somewhere around 60 to 65 years after Jesus had died. And, and so this is uh, quite a few people who, who had heard the gospel but never met Jesus. And John, as someone who, who met Jesus and saw him and interacted with him, is, is trying to pass on before he dies. Here's the substance of the faith. Here's what's at the heart of it. Here's how we live in response to it. And this letter, as well as the other books he wrote, really try to encourage the church as he recognizes that that his time on earth is coming to an end, and he, he's passing on that wisdom to the church. And so we, we here, even several thousand years later, <laughs> are hearing this, and we're receiving his wisdom as wisdom of someone who walked with Jesus, who actually saw Jesus, who talked to him, who, who ate meals with him and hung out with him. And that's what we're entering into today. To pick this up from where Pastor Hayden uh, ended last week, I want to just remind us of, of the last two verses of the text that he read last week, and that's this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I said this a, a few weeks ago, but I want to reiterate it today. These weeks following Easter really push us in this, in this mode of responding to the good news of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes in our Reformed tradition, we invite people to come to Jesus Christ and, and to recognize our need for salvation and our need to repent and to have our sins forgiven. And in this Easter season, what we've been doing is, is saying the cross of Jesus Christ is accomplished. He has forgiven our sins. Now how do we live? How do we live in response to this good news? And so what we're going to hear today are, are these commands and this call to, to live like Jesus. But we need to understand that it's coming as a response to what God has already given us. Not a way of earning our salvation, but as a way of responding to our salvation. So the, the baseline, the foundation for what we're engaging here is this text. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's already accomplished that. And not just for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. So how now do we go out and live? What's this new life, this forgiven life? This atoned-for life that we get to live. So these commands are not meant to be heavy-handed, but more of an invitation to a new way of life. The question for us, then, is how are we going to respond to the good news? 
Or maybe we could say, say it this way, and this is kind of where we're going to end our time today, is coming back to a question like this. Is this good news evident in our daily living? And that's not meant to be like a finger-wagging type question, but more of a curiosity question. How is the good news showing up in the way we live? How is it interacting with, with our daily lives? Where does it show up in our schedules and in our relationships and, and just in the way we handle the news of the day? Where does this good news that we are forgiven people show up in our lives? I want to help us move through this today by paying attention to four words that are in the text Len read. The first is the word know. We know that we have come to know him. The second is the word keep. And it has keep his commands, and as we'll see, it actually is behind several other words in the text. And then whoever claims to live in him, that's actually one Greek word for live. And then the last part, in him must live as Jesus did, and that's a different Greek word for live, and there's a difference between those two, and we'll, we'll tease that out uh, towards the end. We're going to go pretty quickly through know and keep, We'll spend a little more time on the two live words. We know, look at how many times it shows up here, that word know. It shows up uh, in, in several different spots here. We know that we have come to know him, and then whoever says, I know him, and then towards the end, this is how we know. In fact, this word know shows up 42 times in this short letter. And he never uses just the word knowledge, as in we have to gain knowledge, but talks about it as knowing, as this, it's much more of a verbal sense. It's, it's knowing something or coming to know something. And it's not just knowledge. And maybe a way to get at this and what John's trying to do here is to understand that we can use the word know in multiple ways. We can say, I know information. Like, I know the weather today. It's going to be warm right? Finally, I know. We can talk about relationship. I, I can say, I know Jerry, and, and I know John, and I know Paul. Like, we can say we know people, right? But we can also say morality. I know right from wrong. I know from experience. I know what the Rocky Mountains look like. I've been there. I, I've touched them. I've, I've walked in the hills there. I, I know how to write an academic paper. Malin knows how to cook good food. <laughs> right? We, we have skills we learn and that God gives us. We know how to do things. And, and lastly, there's this idea of knowing something because we go through the motions. We've, we kind of learn it. We, we actually talk about muscle memory. We learn something so well, it just, we just do it. We don't always think when we come up to a red stop sign when we're driving, oh, that's a red stop sign. I need to stop. That thought process doesn't go through. We've learned it and we embody it. All those things together help us to see that knowledge really is holistic. It's not just an abstract set of ideas. It's a, it's a holistic way of living and engaging in our world. It's how we go about living life. And in fact, we could say biblical knowledge, when the Bible talks about knowledge, it's not just talking about facts or ideas. It's really talking about 
something much more. It, Jamie Smith, who's a, a, a Christian author and philosopher and teacher at Calvin College, he, he confronts some of our tendencies, especially in the Reformed tradition. We tend to think about knowledge and even our faith as being all up here. And he says, but we're not brains on sticks. We were actually created to be living human beings that engage with each other and with the world around us. We have senses that we can smell and touch and taste, and, and knowing is all wrapped up in that. So biblical knowledge, when the Bible talks about knowing something, it's not just knowing facts, it's actually living into it. And, and we could say biblical knowledge is something we live in each and every moment of our lives. It, it, it gets close to the word reality. How do we live into reality? Reality that God created. Humanity sinned. That, that things are broken and caught up in decay because of that sin, because that Jesus has come back. How do we live into that reality? Knowledge. The second word in this passage that I want to highlight, just to give us context, is that word keep. And, and the Greek word behind it actually shows up in three spots in this text. And, and I've highlighted all those. We keep his commands. And then it says, whoever says, I know him, know God, but does not do what he commands. Again, keeping and commands are tied together, is a liar. And then again in verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, and that word obey in English is actually the same word as keep in the Greek. It's all, it's repeating here. There's a repetition going on. So we come to know him if we keep his commands. And then it says, if we say we know him, but we don't keep his commands, we're lying. And then it comes back to it. It says, but if anyone keeps his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. So you hear the, the repetition coming back to this word keeping. What does that mean? That word keep has this idea of safekeeping or watching over something. But it's very distinct in that it doesn't mean to keep something safe that I'm going to guard it and protect it and hold it just for myself. It has more of an idea of a, a, a warden or a guardian who's watching over something to make sure that it flourishes and operates the way it's supposed to. It's someone who's, who's watching over a whole system of things and keeping a close eye on it to make sure things keep going the way they were designed to go. And so when it says that we keep his commands in this passage, what it's really calling us to is to make sure that God's commands are put into action. That we're, we're making sure that those commands are in good working condition in our lives, that the community as a whole is working the way that God designed it to work. And for John, and actually the rest of this letter, 1 John, plays off of this, these two verses out of John's Gospel. He, he goes right after the passage that Len read for us today to start talking about how he, God has given us a new command, but it's not really a new command. It's a command that's been with us for a while. And it's referring to this one. And this command is important because Jesus gave it to his disciples on the night he was betrayed. So he, he's pulled his disciples aside and is, he's teaching them those final things right before he dies. And what Jesus says to them is, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love 
one another. And what John unpacks in the rest of 1 John is what does that look like to love one another. But for our purposes today, we need to hear that this is the command that John's referring to. This is what John's saying. We need to keep his commands. We need to watch over, regard, make sure that it it works the way it's supposed to. If we say we know God, we have this experiential, holistic knowledge of God, then it needs to come out in the way we love one another. We keep God's commands. This one, summarized in this, when we love one another, the rest of the world comes to know who Jesus is. Now to slow down. So we have the knowledge of God, which is this experiential live knowledge. We have these commands that we're called to keep, which comes into the way of loving one another. And this is kind of the how-to. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we live this knowledge of God? And how do we love one another? How do we bring those two things together? And this phrase, whoever claims to live in him, that live in him literally means to remain or abide or perhaps even better, dwell with. It gets used in the sense of people moving into a house or living in the same type of house together. And for us to understand a picture of what that would look like in, in that Jewish culture, what they would do is, is the father of the household and, and the mother of the household would have a house. And they would raise their kids there. And as the kids got older, they would build on another section onto the house. And the son would move into that and his family would be raised there. And so you have two generations. And then they would add another one on for the other siblings. And so you built essentially a family compound where there were distinct homes, but you were all together and you were dwelling together in community. You created this community. And it wasn't just the biological family members, but actually... If the family was wealthy enough to have servants, the servants lived there too and were part of the household. And they started using the word oikos to talk about the home or the family. And that oikos word is where we get economics from. It's the system and structure of the way people cared for one another and were provided for. And so this is saying we need to remain in Jesus, to dwell with him, to live with him, to, to enter into that type of relationship with him, that sense of we all belong in one family, in one household, with God the Father as the head, and Jesus providing us and wrapping us in so that we are, we are communing with him. We're in this family together with him. We're, we're identified by being in that home. Again, that last night, that last night that Jesus with with his disciples, he says this and uses that same idea of remain. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And here's where we get to that, that gospel inter, intertwining in this and, and sending us out rather than us having to earn our place with God. And God says, in Jesus Christ, we've been wrapped into his family. 
We've been drawn into his household. And being drawn in, if we remain with him, Christ's life lives in us. But if we try to separate ourselves from Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, thanks for the good start. I can go live on my own. And we try to live outside of Jesus' family and try to do things all on our own, we actually cut ourselves off from his life and his provision. What we're being called to is to remain in Jesus, to find those ways of living that draw us further and further into his family so that we live more and more of the life of Jesus together. And then he adds this to his disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. See what's happening here? Jesus is saying, I know the Father, and I know the Father's love, and I know you, and I'm passing the Father's love to you. And, and if the Father's love lives in you as it lives in me, you're going to keep those commands. That's just what we do in this family. That's how we live as God's family. And he's wrapped that love of God the Father, of knowing the Father's love, in with those keeping of commands of loving one another. And Jesus is pulling them together in himself. He's inviting us to remain in him. Sometimes we talk about the boring aspects of Christianity. <laughs> I got to do my devotions. I got to get up and read the Bible. I got to I got to pray and we we almost talk about it as it's a labor and this heavy heavy duty and responsibility. I got to go to church. For crying out loud, I got to get up at 9:30 be at church by 9:30 in the morning on a Sunday, right? Yeah. Amen, right, Ray? It, 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 we just find those, those, these rhythms and routines of Christianity, and we're like, oh, but what we're hearing in this, and why these behaviors and patterns, what we call practices, have been so important in the life of the church, is because they help us to remain in Jesus, to dwell with him. Spending time in Scripture is not just so we can know facts about God, so that we can grow in relationship with God, that we can come to know more and more, not just about Jesus, but we can know Jesus more and more. It's a relational invitation, and through these practices, the church has said, this is part of how we learn by gathering with God's people, by immersing ourselves in the whole story of Scripture, by, by spending time in prayer where we commune with the Holy Spirit who reassures us of our salvation, who, who teaches us the ways of Jesus Christ. Remaining in Jesus becomes central to our identity. In fact, part of what we could say is, this is how our identity is formed. Who we are, we're people who remain with Jesus. I mean, we can say Christian as a shorthand, but but really what we're saying is we're people who are identified as part of Jesus' family. We're, we're Jesus' brothers and sisters. We're in his family. That's our core identity. And so the question is, what practices help, help us learn that and remember that and believe that? We have a song that we sang a couple weeks ago. The cadets started it out for us. Right, Dustin? Living 
for Jesus. This text is, is not denying that we're called to live for Jesus, but it's putting an emphasis on living with Jesus. And that small, subtle thing, it's not about what can we go do for Jesus, first of all. It's what can we do so that we live with Jesus, that we're rooted in him, in communion with him. And then this, the last live. We know that we have come to know him. This call is being recorded. He doesn't want to interact with people that society tries to ignore, that people, people who are seen as the problem in the world. How did Jesus interact with them? It drives us, these two questions alone, drive us back to read the Gospels and say, hey, wait a minute, what did Jesus do in those situations? How did he interact? Because that's how I want to live. How do I live like Jesus? How did Jesus interact with those who were different than him? He was a Jewish male who grew up as a carpenter. How did he interact with people who didn't grow up like that, who, who were women in that culture? How did he interact with people who were not Jews? How did he interact with those who were outside of his community? How did Jesus structure his time? Some people noticed that Jesus engaged a lot, and then he would pull back and withdraw to a quiet place, and then he would engage, and he'd pull back and withdraw. Sometimes we talk about that as Sabbath rhythms. How did he engage with creation? Like there's all these type of questions, and we could ask a whole lot more. It, it puts on a different lens for us when we read Scripture, asking the questions, what do we see Jesus doing? How did he engage his world? And then asking, so what does that mean for the way we engage today? Ultimately, what we're asking in the context of this passage is how did Jesus love others? Because if we're called to keep those commands, especially that command to love one another, this is the question we need to come back to again and again. How did Jesus love others? What does that mean for the way I'm going to live my life? The way we're going to live our communal life together? So an invitation. Remembering that this isn't a, uh, we've got to do this stuff and figure this out so we can be saved and be right with God. We've already been made right with God. The invitation is, how do we live in response to God's love for us in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection? Because knowing God is a lived knowledge. Not just an abstract knowledge, it's a lived knowledge. And keeping God's commands focuses us on loving others. The invitation today is, to take a look at our own lives, ask those questions, to do even an audit. That may be a scary word for some of us. We just came through tax season. But to do an audit of our daily and weekly practices. What in our lives is helping me to live with Jesus so that I can love others like Jesus did? What is helping me to live with Jesus so I can love others like Jesus did? And again, this isn't a finger-wagging. Oh, you don't have anything. We're not doing any of that. This is an invitation to take a look at our lives and say, search me. Know me, God. See what in my life doesn't lead to you and to loving others like you did. Instead, lead me in the way everlasting.
Lead me into this richness of your new life, your resurrection life, the forgiven life, the life of being loved and being part of your family. How do I live like you? Normally, when I end a message, we, I say a prayer. <laughs> We're going to sing a prayer in response this morning. We're going to sing the song, Jesus, All for Jesus. And I invite us to stay seated while we sing that song. And, and then Andrea is going to lead us right from that song into another one about the Holy Spirit. Because the truth is told, we can't live like Jesus without the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And so we'll, as we begin to sing that second song, I'll invite you to stand uh, as we sing it.